Good morning. This is considered part of Advent. This Sunday as well as starting the 1st of December. Advent is something that has been practiced in church churches for ever since about 600 A.D. Eastern, uh, the Western churches uh, pr- uh, practice it for about five weeks. The Eastern Orthodox Church practice it about six weeks. Technically speaking, what it was was a time for church or the believers, Christians, to celebrate the time that we know, relatively speaking, as Christmas. But one of the things I think that we have failed to carry through with that concept of Advent has been the preparation, those five or six weeks, depending upon if you're Easterner or you're Westerner. And if you are, then you... Advent was a preparation, technically, to prepare yourself for the coming of the Messiah. I find this story and the liturgy that is involved in this is more than just something that we look at as traditional in our Western culture that we have now, Christmas is taking over such a wide definitions that I think it's diluted the understanding of what Christmas really stands for. If you take it a step further than the economical part of Christmas and that part of it, and if you take it further, The whole thing in regard to Advent is not about Mary. It's not about Joseph. It's not about the innkeeper. But the centrality of it is about the Messiah. In the Hebrew, he is called Yeshua. To the western part of our English culture, he's known as Jesus. And it's all about, Advent is all about and surrounds everything in regard from the time of Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 7, which we will read in a minute. It it concerns this time of what took place in this short period of time that has literally affected all of humanity that has ever lived in the past, or that we'll live in the future. Everything goes back to Advent. It's unique that after a few years that they started practicing this, they included it's not only about the birth and the coming, the first coming of Messiah, but it's also held in understanding of the second coming of Jesus. 
So we have a vast 2,000-year period of time that is going to affect somewhere between 6,000 and 7,000 years of human history. Advent is a pretty important time for everyone that would be considered a Christian from Constantine's era to the present-day era that we're in now. I find it very unique and very amazing of this story. It covers such a short period of time scriptural-wise, but the effect of it is so supernatural that the natural man cannot grasp unless the Spirit of God literally reveals it to them. I don't know, have you ever had, you know, here, here they come, Mary and Joseph down from Nazareth, about 100 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, between 80 and 100, somewhere in that. It's, it's really unique because they were being required, according to second chapter, verse 1, the, there was a census going on, and they were supposed to return to the city of their birth or their clan or their tribe and Joseph being the man, very, very unique circumstances here that surrounded, and we will look at the circumstances that surrounds the thing. Joseph felt it necessary for Mary and him to leave Nazareth and go down to Bethlehem. If you know your geographics, you understand that Nazareth is in the Galilee area, but is also part of what was known as Israel, not Judah at the splitting of the tribes, but the northern part, which was called Israel itself. Right in the, right in the middle of it, right in the middle of it, is what they would call Samaria. Samaria, you, for, for a Jewish person, you did not want to be called a Samarian, or Samaritan, or Samarian, because that referred to the time in the northern kingdom or Israel, it was called. You had, you had about nine tribes that was involved in northern Israel. Southern Israel, you had Judah, you had Simeon, you had Gad, and you had, uh, not Gad, but you had uh, Benjamin and, uh, oh, let's see, who was it? My, I think it was Manasseh or Ephraim. So, and so you had that in the southern portion. But right there in the middle was where the Samaritans were. And if you wanted to cuss somebody out in their day, you called them a Samaritan. You know, for, for some, you know, we've got jokes. I'm going to leave some of the nationalities out. I'll just say, for me as a Texan, you're either a Longhorn or you're an Aggie. And if you wanted to make jokes, you made fun of the Aggies. How many Aggies did it take to put a light bulb in the ceiling, you know? So it took one, but you had eight guys turning the, the ladder. Oh, well, anyway. <laughs> so so it, it was bad to be called in the state I was birthed in. It was, you did not, even though my dad was going to go to play football at A&M, uh, I was always a Longhorn because I didn't want to be identified as an Aggie. 
The thing being, this was the same way it was for the Samaritans. They, they were of a mixed breed. They went into captivity first. Uh, they were not allowed to re return. It was a combination of Greek, uh, Greek people and uh, Persians and a diversity that was there. And they came back and was required to settle. You know, it was like the Samaritan woman who was at the well and Jesus came. Remember, remember that story? And it, it kind of really ticked off the disciples uh, in regard to why do we have to go through Samaria. It's not something. And, and you've got the Samaritan story that, that all those people, the Samaritan was, the Samaritan was down and he was uh, actually helped this person. And that was, you know, you don't, wanna, you don't want a Samaritan helping you. You know, it, it's, they are on the low class of the totem pole, so to speak. So you, you have Mary and Joseph, they had been put in this situation, especially Joseph, that he has to go down to his birth city, which is Bethlehem, the city of David. I find this very unique when you consider all these circumstances that are involved, because if you cannot talk about Advent without talking about the fulfilling of biblical prophecy in regard to the Messiah. The city of David, Bethlehem. The history of Bethlehem goes so far back. You remember, you remember Ruth and Naomi when they came back? The spiritual interpretation is that they left because of famine. But they came back because they heard that the wheat fields were growing in Bethlehem. And the meaning of Bethlehem is the breadbasket. And the New Testament tells us, one, one of the scriptures in regard to Jesus, said, I am the what? The bread of life. He that eateth of me will never hunger again. Jesus told a Samaritan woman, I have water. If you drank, you'll never thirst again. And we, here we have, they're on their way. They're going through Samaria. Thieves, robbers, People of opportunity were on the roads, clear down, especially got getting down to where Jericho was, and they had to go through that. And there was so they had to travel with a lot of people just for the survival. But let me tell you something: when you're in the plan of God, you've got a protection that only God can give. And I don't care how many soldiers that was there; if they would have wanted to attack, they couldn't because God had already spoken through His prophets of what was going to take place. You know, it, it starts and it starts off there in second chapter of Luke and it starts talking about the, the sense that it talks about that they leave Nazareth and they go down through this part of the country that is not known for hospitality toward Jewish people and the, and the thieves and the robbers that was there. So I, I imagine it was, it was great when, when, they, when they got back about 10 miles north of, of Jerusalem and they realized now we're, we're back in, in Judah itself. And finally they had to go through Jerusalem and they had to keep on going about 15 miles south of Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Can I say the breadbasket? Had, had to go there. You know, one of the things I find amazing about this in regard to 
the place they had to stay, the motel, a hotel. And some of you, you younger ones have no idea what it was like traveling back in, say, the late 70s or even the low 80s uh, before cell phones, uh, before Internet, before having to get on there and, you know, getting a hold of uh, Howard Johnson's uh, Holiday Inn or, 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 or Motel 6. You had to luck it out, really. And the thing was, I, I can remember, I can remember going, going through town and Dad said, you know, it was already late and you don't get a motel after dark. That was the thing. So Dad, Mother sitting, I was either in the front passenger or I was in the back. And my job and Mother's job was to find one of those motels that didn't have the light on out there that said no vacancy. We were looking for one that didn't have a light out. That's the way you determined where you were going to stay. Nowadays, you know, you, you, you go online and you make your reservation and all that. But can I go a little step further? How many, how many has ever gone to the motel and it wasn't exactly what it looked like on, online? Have you ever done that? And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I've done it several times. And I, I've gone and they show a beautiful pool, you know, outside. And, and, the, and when I got there, uh, it wasn't a beautiful pool. It had green water in there and slime on the side and wondered, was anybody really look more like a septic tank probably than it did a swimming pool? I don't know how many times I've had to change rooms because you go in and you didn't know if you were going to get attacked by these, these Texas-sized uh, roaches, you know, as big as some rats, you know, and you'd have to change rooms and then get in the room and pull the the sheet back and the, you done it? And, you know, it looked like it, the bed had already been used a couple of times. Let's just put it that way. I, even one time I, I went in and we, we settled in and turned the television on, the television didn't work, and I was trying to be nice, and I go, and I go down to the, I, I call down there, and I said, uh, I said, because the television is not working, can you, uh, can you reduce the price of the room? Because I didn't want to pay any more than what I did. She said, oh, we already put that on the front end of it. Uh, we, we actually saved you $5. I said, I thought, you know, you, th- you think I'm crazy, but I know better. I, I've been in sales enough to know you just, you know, you jack your prices up when you have sales, and then you can say, hey, these pair of shoes were $24.99, and they're $9.99 now, and uh, they never were. They never wore nine ninety nine, you know what I mean, and they didn't cost ninety nine. Probably cost two dollars. Hey, I, I sold women's shoes all the way through Bible college. I don't know what I'm talking about. Some of those nineteen ninety nine shoes you women used to buy back in the sixties and the seventies, they only cost about two dollars to make, and that's what the companies paid for them. Well, so much for Brown Shoe Company. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the hotels were not exactly. The difference now, 20 years ago, have changed drastically. And that's one of the good things about online, getting your motel online. But still, though, you run into problems. I, I, I can't imagine living in 2,000 years ago without cell phones, without internet, without a light on the front door that says vacancies. 
you know, and you, you go in. And my, my problem with this whole scenario is that <clears throat> Joseph was of the tribe of Judah. Joseph's family originated in Bethlehem. Why wasn't their family there to take them in? Brother with a family that's got, uh, uh, you know, some straw down in a corner than to be in a barn? Come on now. Now, I know some families. Never mind. I, I know that you, some people would rather stay at a, at a motel than they would with their family. I've been, th- been down there, gone through that, bought the T-shirt, and everything. I'm thinking, where, where is the family? Surely he had some extended family there in Bethlehem if that was a city that he, but it wasn't. And then I got to thinking, what would it have been that would have prevented family members from taking in Mary and Joseph? After thinking about it, you you get, you, get in, you get in the second chapter, Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 7, and you realize, and it says, it, it says this, and Joseph and Mary, his betrothed. Uh, some versions say betrothed wife. Some versions say betrothed. But betrothed means engaged. They're engaged. They've been promised to one another. But there's a problem with this. This engaged couple... This has to be a virgin. Evidently, is not a virgin because she looked like she's about to drop, drop a calf at any moment. So it was a stigma if you were in her position that all family members would shun her and the man that was too crazy that he didn't divorce her, or even at the even at the worst scenario, stone her to death, because you know it's pretty obvious that I mean, looking at it through the natural eyes, it's pretty obvious she'd been messing around, and she's not supposed to. Oh, it's biblical. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I have to go back sometimes to the basic pattern of things. So there was a stigma. We we come up to this story here. You know, and I, I was sitting there the other night, and I was thinking, what if it had been Archie Bunker and Edith? <laughs> now, Archie, we can't have them because, look, she's pregnant. She's going to have a baby, and he just said that they were engaged, and they're not even married. We can't have them. We can't have them, Archie. Is that pretty good? Archie? Archie? Oh, shut up, either. You know, I know I'm, I'm a little different. And I'm thinking, what did, what happened? Looking at the mindset of the innkeeper and him thinking, why have I been put in this position? Why is it that my compassion 
reaches out to this young couple. They are not what we would typically accept as a Jewish young couple. Can I shift it just a little bit here? See, he prepared the room. Where's my time? Okay, I got plenty of time. Where's the room? It says in there in the seventh verse. Did you put it up on there? Let's look at that. Look the second. Yeah, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger, but there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I've gone back and looked at the traditions and the customs of that time and what it would have looked like since we know that it wasn't even a Motel 6. Okay? I remember ever getting a room Motel 6, and they didn't even have a telephone in the room. Do you remember that? I remember that. Didn't even have a telephone in the room. Oh, that's getting pretty, pretty bad. So at, at, at this time in, in tradition, it usually was a big house. I'll tell you what, Spurgeon's parents, mother, they owned, they owned an inn in the early days of Spurgeon's life. And they couldn't make it. This was after his dad had passed away. It was just his mother and all the kids and couldn't make it. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of that situation, no room at the end. Just, just imagine uh, the, the Sugar Bowl coming up in, in Oklahoma playing uh, Alabama, who we don't know for sure yet, but I'm sure. It's going to be Oklahoma. It's going to be one of them. And you, and you're you're, you're going. You're, you've already made your plane trip tickets for, uh, is it Sugar Bowl? That's in Miami, right? You don't know. Oh my God. Okay, well somewhere in the southeast. All right. You realize it's hard enough to get a ticket. Because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna pay, at the minimum, you're going to pay $1,000. Then you've got to have the hotel. So you, what do you do? You get your ticket first, right? You make sure that, that you've got a ticket to the game. Okay. Then you make sure you've got a place to stay. And that could be a little bit of a problem when such a big, popular game is going to be played. So just imagine that this is what's happening in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's population right now is somewhere around 24,000 people. I think that's about half the size of Jackson. And you've got all of the kinfolks that is spread out all around the Roman Empire. All of a sudden flying in, <laughs> trying to get, trying to rent a chariot and trying to find a motel in Jackson, if it was half this size, they wouldn't have the plane that flies from St. Louis, so forget about that. And all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're coming in, and they hadn't made reservations because there was no such thing as making reservations in. 
of the typical inn at that time was a room probably a third this size. And there was beds lined up all around. Sometimes it was in the corner and they had hay and that's where you slept. Then they, you know, most of them are riding camels or horses or, or mules or donkeys or, or what have you. And so they're going to put those in the stable. And it was customary at that time that the stable be kindly with a distance from the hotel itself simply for the fact it's going to stink out there. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Hey, Joe, you, you remember going a couple of years ago the first time to Fort Apache up there on the Indian Reservation and where they stuck us? And I don't know if you noticed it or not how bad it stunk because there was, I'm sorry, there was, what's the best word? Oh, manure. I guess you can't call it that other stuff. And there was manure that they hadn't cleaned up in, in, in this little stable that was probably what, about a 20 by 20, something like that. They didn't clean it up. And of course, you know, it got up in the daytime, it got up pretty hot. So you imagine that, you know, everything is getting real nasty, you know, so to speak. And, and the smell of that is just almost nauseating. And yet, it's one thing to say there's no room at the end, but really, is the stable much better than the street? So everybody that rode, so you got camels, you got donkeys, you may even have a few sheep, you know. Maybe, 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 maybe some mother is there and she, she brought a goat or, or, or for the milk for the, for the baby. They put them all out there 100 feet from the inn. Now switch switch a little bit here. People that say what, how is there a connection between me and Jesus, somebody that was born 2,000 years ago? Jesus did not know what I go through, where I was born, what I was involved in. And I say nay. For those that think that they're so far down the list that nobody cares or has anything. You don't know what my pedigree is because I don't even know what the word means. So who is this Jesus? What does he know about me? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking... You, you, well, yeah, the second year we were there, they finally cleaned the manure out, right? Uh, yeah. Is Neva in here? She knows one. Uh, Neva's Mecca teaching. Oh, Neva got there in the good days. And it was, it was, uh, uh, what was it post pre, post, uh, post manure. <laughs> it was when they actually cleaned out a little bit of it. And so the smell didn't bother you that much. But can I put it this way in my thinking for it? Jesus was born in the crappiest place in Bethlehem. He was not born in the palace. He was not born with a silver spoon. Probably didn't even have a, a spoon in those days. 
Well, Forks didn't come on the scene till Louis the Fourteenth, so you know it's almost over a thousand years before Louis the Fourteenth came in and designed the fork. So you've got Jesus born. The only good thing was it was it was it was a manger. The manger was where they all ate. So you had straw and you had wheat and you had all that and you just put it in where the sheep, you know, I, I, I've, I've been around cattle and I've been around sheep a little bit. I haven't been around camels, thank the Lord. And they would get that, that was their food and they would put it in there. You know, and if you've ever seen it, been around a cow or a Sheep don't do it, but the cattle and the, especially the camels. You know, when they eat, they slobber. I'm, I'm, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I think about these things. And so here, here you've got, you got a manger that sounds so nice, especially when you realize that Jesus is wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. What, what, are, you, what are you picture? I picture the cattle going by there and taking a nibble and the camels, they go by and before they bite into that, you know, big old slobber comes down their mouth and I'm thinking, this is where Jesus was born. Let me tell you something. It was in the plan of God. It was preordained. It was already, God knew exactly. It wasn't by accident that they came to this hotel. I'm sorry, this inn. It wasn't by accident that this innkeeper was there to talk with, with Joseph, even though the, 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 the narrative in the word doesn't say anything about the innkeeper. It's, you assume and, and, and you uh, hypothetical that there was somebody that was organizing this place and he was there and he had been pushed into this place. If the, Joseph had to stop there, where would he have stopped? But Joseph stopped there. I believe that God had already prepared that man that was so hard in his appearance to be so compassionate that God prepared him before the room was ever prepared for Jesus. Oh my. You know, one of the things that, that fits so well into this saying that the, prof, the prophets of old even declared, I looked up last night, I looked up uh, prophetic scriptures in regard to the Messiah's coming. And I noticed that there was one reference to 40 important prophecies in the Talmud or the Old Testament. 40, it didn't cover all of them because there was over 400, I, I, I believe. But 40 of them, and one of them was found in Micah, the fifth chapter. You're talking about pinpointing that God knows these things a couple of hundred years before they ever, before he ever let it be spoken. Micah, the fifth chapter, listen to this. This is a prophecy or a foretelling that involved the Messiah or Jesus. Micah, the fifth chapter. But you, Bethlehem, <laughs> right off the bat, don't hold, up, don't hold back. 
But you, Bethlehem, you are little among the thousands of Judah. Yet out of you shall come forth to me the ruler in Israel, whose goings are from old to everlasting. Pinpoints it down that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Why was this put in there? Because Bethlehem was not that important for the whole kingdom. It was small. It was it was inconspicuous. It was known as a farming town because of the wheat fields that were all around. Bethlehem was several different Hebrew interpretations of what Bethlehem, one place is the rescuing place, the house of bread. It wasn't one of the, at that time, the major tribes, if you wanted to, even though Judah encompassed it all about, but Bethlehem. Bethlehem was already spoken of. It was already foretold that the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great counselor, on whose shoulders the government would rest, would be born in a significant place by the name of Bethlehem, in a place nobody wanted to put on their list of places they'd traveled. And there it was. <laughs> you might say it's time versus prophecy. What did God say? What do we say? Do we see the foretelling of the problem we might be in? Is there anything that happened to Jesus that we cannot say has a direct effect on us? You have problems. I'm thinking this time of the year is, is, is pretty devastating. Just like, just like Lizzie was saying last week in regard to it. This is a time that more people commit suicide in the month of December than any other all put together times of the year. Think about it. Why is that? I think about it when I, Christmas come around and my kids lived out of state. It just tore me up. Why can't I be with my kids? And it's transformed from that to the place now I go to the mall or I go to Walmart. I see all these parents gathering around the kids' section buying toys and buying this and the, the confusion of all of this activity and, and thinking... I don't have that anymore. My wife is gone. I don't have that pull and that tug, those cookies that we once made together. We no longer make. Those get-togethers of the families, we don't get together like we used to. And it pulls at your emotions. And those that do get together, there's always some kind of bitching going on. Can I just say plain, plain language there? They're, you know, you're just glad that it's not this way every month. Come on now. 
And I'm thinking, I would gladly trade places with those that have trouble with their family. But to be able to have that time with the one I love. But it's not there no more. I'm going, going through the mind of Joseph. He's thinking, did I do right? Did I make the right decision? Why am I being put in? Am I the only one that's being targeted? Am I the only, am I the only man that has a wife? How do I explain that this woman that I am engaged to is carrying a baby and the baby is about to come? Did I do right? Am I the only one? If, has the blinders been pulled over my eyes? And this is really not right. Who would ever believe that God would send an angel down to a woman that was a virgin and tell her, you're going to have a baby? And she turns around and gives a typical answer, but I have never known a man. And after the conversation ends, I'm not, I hope I'm not treading there where you're going to go next week. And he's probably thinking, my back's against the wall. I've got a, a, a woman here that's about to buy, have a baby. I cannot find a place for her. I know there's not going to be any physicians going to be able to help out with this. I don't have the support of a family. I left her parents up in Nazareth, I drag her all the way down to Bethlehem. And now I cannot find a place for her to have a child. Everybody is against us. Nobody is for us. We don't fall in the good types of people. My wife is going to have a baby and a born. Did I do right? Should I have just divorced her? Should I have just had the, uh, the community stone her and got me out of not having to make this decision? Don't you think the innkeeper would have said, why am I in this decision that I have to make this decision? Why couldn't they have gone down to the next place or the one just before here? You know, you can think whatever you want to think, but God knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born. And they already prepared things that put him in a position of saying, I've been there, done that. I wasn't born in a palace. I wasn't born and the best family in the tribe. But it is what it is. And now, I can remember going down those streets and looking for, for those signs. Of the, let me go and read this scripture here to you. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it's Isaiah, Isaiah the, uh, yeah, it's an Isaiah. It talks about, and the light shall come. And I got to thinking about that. I didn't know a whole lot about scriptures back there when I was nine, ten years old. But one thing to do know was I looked for those fluorescent signs that was lighted up, and it said, 
vacancy. And out of the darkness came light for me. I didn't know what the scripture was, but I knew I was looking for that sign. I was looking for that sign that said vacancy. Because you had no, and then you had vacancy, and if there wasn't, then they'd cut the no off, and they would have vacancy. And I get to thinking, he's shown forth in the darkest of places, and the least likely place for the Son of God. No, you, you, would, you would think the Son of God, that out of respect for the position, he would have been in the, he would have had the best doctors. He would have people waiting on, that had servants, and they have these things lined up, waiting for these things to happen. And yet it didn't. Remember, you remember, who was it, uh, Elijah? Elijah? He went down to the Shudamite, and she was so impressed. She said to her husband, she said, let's build a room for him. Let's build a room for him. That when he is, tra- when he is traveling, he can come in and he can rest. There's a table. There's a lamp. Lamp signifying revelation. A bed to rest. Even Elijah had it better than Jesus did. But since he was called the light of the world, Jesus merely showing up caused revelation to begin to happen. All of a sudden when people get around, all of a sudden they saw things they'd never seen before. They saw, they saw blind eyes open. They, 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 they heard of these that had deaf ears, and all of a sudden, they, he was the light of the world. So when you're going down through life, look for the sign that says vacancy. The one that's got the light on, not no vacancy, because the world will always turn you away. But God will have always prepared even an innkeeper even Archie. Of course, Archie sometimes was like Job. It'd been better. Never mind. <laughs> Some of you got it. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's fine. We go to the scripture, uh, close out, fourth, fourth closing. Revelation, third chapter, verse 20, it says, it says this, so we look closely at the words of that and keep in mind the response of the innkeeper that we have just seen in Bethlehem because it says, Behold, I stand. At the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. You hear that knocking? I'm thinking of that woman that woke up that that guy that night and she kept on banging and knocking and out of desperation to get her to shut up. (laughs) What do you want? You know. But she got what she wanted because of the persistence that she out of necessity So this morning, I believe prophetically, Jesus is at the door of people's lives and knocking. 
And if you hear, and God has to prepare you. I don't know how he does it. I, I, I fully believe that the innkeeper had to have already been prepared by God. Melody's heart. I, I kind of think it wasn't his nature to do what he did because innkeepers had to be rough at times. But this time, this one time in his experience of life, he heard the knock on the door. He goes, he opens it, same scenario. We need a place to stay. What would his response have been in the normal? I don't have a place. Go somewhere else. Something happened because the knocking just didn't happen on the door. It happened on the door of his heart. And it kept tugging and kept tugging. And Joseph kept signing in the, in the, in, in the, in the, in the plot here. It shows the innkeeper looking around to get another view of who is on the donkey. And evidently she was so big in regard to about to have a child, he noticed. And it opened a door in him. Is there, and you know, he's, he's trying to take inventory. Is there any place left in here? And he could have probably thought, they're not going to want to go to the stable. Why did I get put in this place in the first place? He didn't have a choice in regard to that. But there was enough of a crack that was in him that said, give me a minute. I don't know if he cleaned out part of the stable. I don't think he could have done that in a minute. I mean, where, where we had to have the, the kids deal, it would have took almost a whole day to clean out all of the, you know what, out of there. So evidently, Mary and Joseph had to walk to the barn. Can you imagine Mary looking? This is not what I thought would happen when Gabriel gave me the message. I thought maybe, you know, I'm first person Mary. She's saying, I kind of thought maybe it'd be something nicer than this, but it wasn't. She made the best she could out of the deal that was presented to her. Nowhere in here does it say how she griped or complained or Joseph either. So next time we think about this and we're looking at Advent, when all the confusion, all we have time for is to figure out what, is, what are we going to have to eat. You know, that's always a big deal. Mother had always put a big spread on I mean, we had had everything in the world, and she did things with class. I mean, she had those little, little deals with whipped cream, strawberries, and whatever you call those things, and those little Christmas. We had three Christmas trees in the house, one white on one floor, one green on the other. It was our job as the men of the house on Thanksgiving to watch football while the women put the trees up. That was fine with us. But all making up the menu, getting all these things, trying to get presents for people that really don't care what, you know, actually by the time next Christmas comes around, half of the things that you got somebody is going to wind up with somebody else anyway. 
because the kids won't appreciate it. You know, they, they, they want the more, they want the up-to-date stuff and all that. Let me tell you something. Let's take a step back and not get into the confusion of the time of the day and hear the knock on the door that Jesus is trying to get our attention and take him in, open the door for him to come in and have Christmas with us. Knock, knock. Knock, knock. Come on, guys. Participate. Knock, knock. It's the Savior of the world knocking on your door. Let me in. And you'll really know what it is to celebrate Advent because it is a forerunner of his second coming. Amen. Can you guys stand, please, if you're able? We're going to pray and...